Welcome to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a podcast from the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal. More than three years ago, a pandemic shut down much of the world. Almost overnight, school and work changed radically. Essential workers went to work without any clear sense of the risk. Many others had to suddenly adjust to working remotely, often isolated from face-to-face contact with other people. Three years later, and many of the pandemic-related restrictions are easing. Students are returning to school, and workers are returning to the workplace. Many are advocating for a return to normal, meaning how things were before the pandemic. But the world and our relationship to it is fundamentally different. There is an unprecedented level of stress. Survey after survey shows that we are more anxious, depressed, and pessimistic than before the pandemic. New terms like the great resignation and quiet quitting are suddenly part of the public discourse. The strategy of returning to normal may not be the best way to get back to work. Changing times demand changing approaches. Today on Healthy Brain, Happy Body, we are talking with an expert on healthy workplaces, workplaces that both drive the mission of the organization and support the workers who are fulfilling that mission. Dr. Janet Schles is the director of the Center for Innovative Lifelong Learning at Rush University Medical Center. She has held a variety of leadership roles in the financial and the nonprofit worlds and brings her expertise and passion to organizational transformation and leadership development. She recently published an article about adapting the workplace to the real new normal, a normal in which we are living with an ongoing global health threat. I spoke with Dr. Schles about what it means to return to the workplace often after several years without face-to-face contact. So I want to start with just what's going on there as people are returning more to -to face-to-face work. How are people feeling about it? uh, And what are the numbers? What what are the data telling us? Well, the data is telling us a lot. (laughs) And it really depends, you know, when you ask about how are people feeling in terms of coming back to work, it depends what the ask is. There are many jobs or professions where face-to-face is really required. So you're not going to have a remote nurse in a hospital setting or a remote physician taking care of somebody bedside remotely. The coming back to work, though, for the majority of workers is really about coming back to an office, that that tends to be where the struggle is. And my experience of it within the within the academic world, within the organizational leadership world, and within the healthcare industry, it depends on what your role is. It depends on, do you need to be face-to-face in order to do your role? It depends on generational cohort. Millennials and Gen Zs really do prefer working remote. <laughs> for a variety of reasons. And Gen Xers and what's left of the baby boomers within the the workforce prefer to be more face-to-face for a variety of reasons. And again, it depends on your role. And my role is all about relationships. So for the last couple of years, a lot of it has been 
has been in a virtual world, a Zoom or WebEx world, and yet being back in an academic medical center, a lot of my connections are walking through the entire system and casually meeting people that they're there is no direct replacement for what's referred to as the old-fashioned water cooler or just running into somebody casually and having a conversation that results in a connection or a collaboration or something, something like that. The other factor that I think is really important beyond generational cohort is the way the physical structure of offices that in the redesign 10, 20 years ago of office spaces, the private spaces for the most part were taken away from workers and people are in central areas without privacy. For somebody who tends to be more extroverted, And their way, I think of it, it, when you're in a university, who are the people who studied in the library and who are the people who studied in the student union? More than likely, the extroverts were studying in the student union. They were talking to people. They're surrounded by people. They're also listening to music on their earphones or earpods now. And the people who tended to be more introverted really preferred... (laughs) to be in quiet or silence or get the work done. There's a logistical thing in terms of commute time. People would rather, many people would rather be utilizing that time or not having to utilize that time, which can be up to two hours for a lot of people. They would rather be able to use that time to work out or read or do nothing. (laughs) So that's a huge piece of it. But the coming back to a central workplace for many people is raising anxiety around fear of health concerns, especially for people who are immunocompromised and who tended to be more introverted or hermit-like. And I'm not using that as a judgmental (laughs) term, people who need more individual space and quiet in order to do their work are not happy about that. It it seems, though, that what you're saying is there's more of a, at least among, among organizations, the decisions sort of being made from the top down and that there is some pushback. There's a a generational piece to that, uh, the generational cohort, as you, as you call it. I wonder if you could actually talk a little bit more about that, because obviously we're always in a bit of a generational shift, but as the younger folks really become to dominate the work space, do you think that that will change anything? And and has the pandemic, has COVID pushed that? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> or, or D, all of the above. <laughs> All of those factors are relevant. The generational cohort, the configuration of office space, the realities, even though many people that that I work with or work around are saying, I'm done with COVID. (laughs) 
well, COVID is not done with us. <laughs> and it will continue to impact us in terms of choices and avail- va- availability of options, even with regard to going back into the social world again for many people. What's fascinating to me is personally, I'm going back into restaurants. Restaurants cannot fi- find help. <laughs> so you could walk into a seemingly half-filled restaurant and there's no seating available because they don't have the wait staff. Every sector of our economy has been has been impacted by this every single sector. The other thing that really is relevant in terms of I think all the literature and the research indicates what really set off the Great Resignation. In the beginning, almost three years ago, we were forced (laughs) to withdraw from society. I actually started a new position the first day (laughs) of of the quarantine, so completely remote. And the work that I do is all about people. (laughs) So building a team, building a structure, building a new area, (laughs) all remote, required a different set of skills. And what we are seeing in many regards in terms of leadership, because that is my prime area of focus at this point in my career, developing, developing and empowering leaders, mostly at the senior, at the senior level, is all about what are the skills that are needed right now. And they're very different than the skills of the past. Going back to to the quarantine where everybody was forced, all of the distractions, and this is how I've experienced it really in myself and in with everybody that I interact with, all of the distractions that we were really skilled <laughs> at bringing into our lives were taken away from us. And for many, and I... I will say many of the lucky ones, it forced us into introspection. And for clients and people that other people that I've interacted with, that was around the introspection was around values. What do I really value? What's really important? How do I want to be in the world? <laughs> and how do I want to create my life. And that encompassed all areas of life. So not just the interpersonal in in your one's private life, but what do I want my work life to be like? The structure, how much time and life force am I willing to put into, into my work, given that other things are important to me? And people went through a variety of different stages from binge watching the streaming, (laughs) streaming services to being in meetings where you were only seen from the waist up (laughs) 
And for some people, that turned out to be disastrous. I will not mention cable news people. And and just a different way, it forced us to be in the world in a different way. And so you have all of these factors that happened seemingly immediately out of nowhere. We were not prepared individually and organizationally. And everybody had to adjust immediately without many people having the skills to be able to adjust. And that, to me, that is related to individuals and organizations and, in particular, leaders. Because leading a team virtually is very different than leading a team in person. As you talk about it, it makes me think of... of the changes during this, let's call it the lockdown period of the pandemic, when we were, when, when many people were not face to face in work and they went through these uh, stages, as you, as you say, that seems like this might not be quite the right word, but some an organic process of development where people were almost forced to face their values and start to develop and Focus on them, you know. In 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 the work that I do, uh, the the question of values is very important, and we we think about how consistent with our values are our actions. And while we were all sort of forced into this lockdown during that time, there was a development of the importance of personal values. And now, many people are sort of being, let's say, artificially brought back into a space that while superficially may be the same as three years ago, what we call the return to quote normal, really isn't. There must be more of this clash of values going on, which I think may be an entree to what you what you said before, the, the, the so-called great resignation. What do you think, what's going on here with this resignation or the quiet quitting, uh, as it's called? Well, I want to tag on to something that you just said, because as you were talking about your perspective about revisiting values, what came to mind is that in many ways, what's happening, what happened, what's still happening in the world in terms of rapid, unanticipated change is forcing us into a unique type of Ericksonian identity formation that that another stage to be added onto the many stages or inserted. It really facilitated for many people or fostered an identity crisis that who I thought I was in relationship to the world of work or my colleagues or my family is no longer relevant. So how do I define myself in a world that's completely different? And again, for the lucky people, we did the introspection and we created or revisited. I I think it's less about creating, but more revisited what are our values And how do we want to be in the world? And what does that look like? So 
that led to, and people were burnt out too. Again, all of the things that we relied on for rejuvenation were taken away from us. You know, everything closed down, theater, travel, health clubs, everything where we would reduce our anxiety or be social, they were all taken away from us. And not everybody had the skills in order to to navigate through that type of landscape. And I think that elicited the initial great resignation. And what's fascinating in terms of, and my numbers are not going to be exact, so I'm going to be approximate in terms of, in terms of numbers. There's a huge percentage of the people who did resign during the Great Resignation who are coming back. And they're coming back. This is what's so interesting. They're coming back to the workforce. For the most part, you have to earn a living. (laughs) There are no longer the types of government subsidies that allowed people to be able to not work for a short period of time. And what's happening, though, is because many of the people who did participate in the Great Resignation have done the inner work, they're coming back to the workforce and want to negotiate. What does the new world of work look like? They want to create a new normal, a new normal based on what are my values, what is the work that I do, and what's required in terms of being effective in the work that I do. And if the work that I do can be done highly effectively remotely, why would I want to be back at an office full time? And I could see where that would also feed into this idea of so-called quiet quitting, where the value, you know, values that folks have emphasized more and developed more uh, that may be inconsistent with work. It's not that work isn't important. It's that other things are as well. And so maybe folks are trying to put stronger, I don't know, boundaries around work versus non-work life. Well, and and absolutely, different people have different relationships to work. So for many people, work is a means to an end. So it may be a means to an end of self-actualization. It may be a means to an end of contributing to other people, to our community. It could be a means to an end depending on the work that you're being paid to do, to be creative or innovative. (laughs) For other people, it can be a means to an end of a paycheck, so to speak, or an end in itself. So the, the people, and I'm going to correct myself, the people who are more, I love my work. If I could afford to, I would do it for free. (laughs) Work is my happy place. That's how I feel. It's a very creative, happy place that positively impacts other people, which is one of my highest values to empower people. It's an end in itself in many ways, but it's also a means to an end of my values, of bringing my highest values to life. 
which I think is very important to me. I know it's very important to me. For other people, and what you were talking about in terms of boundaries, work is a way to support themselves, to support their family, to be able to do other things that they want to do, and maybe even to be able to invest their time in a passion area that cannot provide them with a living wage. People work for a lot of different reasons. And if you, an organization is not understanding and creating a culture that supports the people within the culture, you're going to have the great resignation that will continue. So people left. And if you want to recruit people or seduce them, so to speak, into coming back, you need to be able to speak to what they value the most, speak to it, acknowledge it, and develop a more people-centric culture in actions, not just words. Because if you look at any organization's website, the mission and vision They're wonderful. Nobody has on their website a mission and a vision. Our vision is to work people until they're absolutely exhausted and depleted and not value them as human beings. Nobody would put that on a website. All of these wonderful values aren't necessarily supported in terms of behaviors and rewards within an organizational culture. And People aren't tolerating that anymore because they have choices. And I could see where, from from an institution's perspective, and I may be vastly oversimplifying this, you want a, he- a homogenous workforce because you have a mission that is a point, and there's lots of parts that ought to all be focused on that single point. And when you start having a more heterogeneous workforce that has values that spread, it's much harder, even if you wanted to, to offer the workspace that is person-centric or worker-centric. Now, it does seem that a lot of companies, as, as they're sort of trying to bring or mandating back to, to the office or face-to-face work, the idea is we're back to, quote, normal as if the last three years didn't happen or do anything. And and as you say, there's a lot of pushback. But what is what is leadership supposed to do now that their workforce is becoming more heterogeneous in their values and in their demands? Well, on a personal note, they should sign up to take the courses that I'm developing. <laughs> Which we will also, we will link to in the program notes. So they should do that. <laughs> For one thing, it's a new set of skills. And part of the challenge that organizations and leaders are experiencing is that they're entering into a new reality using skills and mindsets that worked or kind of worked (laughs) in a former reality. And that former reality is gone. It, It doesn't exist because we human beings have changed. And just bringing people back, even if it's an environment where people really do need to be present in order to to do 
some of the work. They may not need to be present five days a week, maybe two or three days a week is enough. And then remote, you know, some sort of blended, just like what we're doing in education with blended learning. Everything that I'm creating learning-wise is blended. And utilizing face-to-face time, whether it's live webinars or actually in person, utilizing that in a way that needs to be utilized interpersonally. So the direct application of things that they can learn the concepts online, (laughs) how to engage people has changed. Everybody's busy. People want and need sound bites, (laughs) meaningful sound bites, which means that leaders and anybody who works with people to develop people, and that would include therapists as well, has to blend, first of all, understand what are the things that really take time to be developed and what are the things that can be understood rather quickly by getting to the essence of a concept. And it takes a lot of time to get to the essence of something. A lot of the the leadership development that I'm focusing on is around emotional intelligence. Because that seems to be a huge gap in leadership skills. And that's really what's needed in order to, to bring people back into the workforce, to recognize, and I think of this as one of the most powerful healing and transformative aspects of psychotherapy is being seen, heard, and valued by another person. And that that really needs to be translated back into the world of work in a manner that motivates people to engage in the work and in the organization so that organizations can be financially successful because they need to blend both. They need to be both financial and people-centric. And that's a new skill in terms of leadership and creating organizational culture. I guess I want to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on this great resignation, but particularly what what is being called the quiet quitting. How could that actually be helpful ultimately to an institution or to an organization? It's a great question. Well, first of all, take away the the judgment that's implied (laughs) around the term quiet quitting, because what's underneath the quiet quitting is the idea that people should be 125% invested in the work that they do and in the organizations and really shifting to what needs to be done work-wise in order to accomplish the goals and deliverables of a of an organization, of a department, an area, and of an individual that I have had direct reports who can get more done (laughs) detail-wise and strategically in six hours than people, most people can, can accomplish in three days. Do I want them to clock in? Absolutely not. Do I want them to resent 
like, oh, you have to be here at a particular time. No, because that would be counterproductive. People have very complex lives and getting even more complex. And when we we were all forced to work remote, many of the two career families or single parents had to work around no child care, remote school, and I have this full-time job that I need to pay the bills. And leaders were, many leaders, certainly not all of them, but many leaders were approaching managing and leading through the former paradigm of an eight to four or nine to five or whatever their their norm was. And you couldn't do that and be respectful of what people were going through. And although we are past the crisis, so to speak, there's a residual impact that people are experiencing, a critical mass impact of what it was like to go through the last couple of years. And I think of it as when we're forced to deal with a lot on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, we're using, often using adrenaline to just get us through the day and get us through through the week or the month. And we've just lived individually and collectively through a very long extended period of time where we were operating like that every single day and there was no break. So a lot of people are experiencing adrenal depletion. They're experiencing the impact of overload, the anxiety of re-entering a world which we were forced to distance ourselves from, and seemingly even innocent things like public transportation or going to a grocery store can generate a lot of anxiety for many people, especially people who might be immunocompromised or might have entered into the last few years with social anxiety to begin with. You've been listening to Healthy Brain, Happy Body, a production of the Northeast Region Biofeedback Society. Go to nrbs.org and find out more about the organization, including our trainings, monthly webinars, and yearly conference. I'm your host, Dr. Saul Rosenthal, and our guide today to the Healthy Brain and Happy Body was Dr. Janet Schles, Director of the Center for Innovative Lifelong Learning at Rush University Medical Center. Look to the show notes for a link to the center and to some of Dr. Schles' articles about returning to the workplace. Remember, you can join NRBS at our virtual conference on October 21st and 22nd with a 25% discount by registering with the code HAPPYLISTENER at nrbs.org. Subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe here link in the show notes or wherever you get your podcasts. We really want to hear from you. Be part of this ongoing conversation by contacting us with your thoughts, ideas, and questions at healthybrain at nrbs.org. Leave us reviews as well. It really helps podcasts like this one reach more ears. Healthy Brain, Happy Body is produced and edited by me. The theme music is Catch It, 
by Coma Media. Be sure to join us on our next episode as we continue to explore the keys to our well-being on healthy brain, happy body.